Welcome to the Wicked Good Momcast, a podcast for Boston moms by Boston moms, a space to hear stories from real moms, to celebrate the beauty of motherhood and to normalize its challenges. Motherhood is hard, but it doesn't have to be lonely. You are a wicked good mom. And now here are your Wicked Good Momcast hosts, Shannon and Megan. This season of the Wicked Good Momcast is brought to you by our partners at Boston Ballet School, the only ballet school in New England affiliated with Boston Ballet, a world-renowned ballet company whose internationally acclaimed repertoire ranges from classical to Balanchine masterworks to premieres by today's finest choreographers. Boston Ballet School believes ballet is for everyone and is dedicated to providing an inclusive environment with classes for all ages, abilities, and household incomes. Visit bostonballet.org backslash education to enroll your child this fall. Hi listeners, today's Wicked Good Wellness episode is specifically for what is known as the sandwich generation, or those in the middle of caring for their children and their aging parents. Some of us are already in this stage of life, while other of us that we know will probably be in this stage of life in the future. After losing her beloved mother, Amalia, to frontotemporal degeneration in 2020, today's guest had a desire to share her mom and her experience as a caregiver with the world. And so the seed for the Remember Me podcast and community was planted. Since its inception, the Remember Me podcast has tripled its audience as awareness for brain health, Alzheimer, and FTD continues to grow. We know you're going to love to hear from Maria today. Maria Kent Beers is the co-founder and co-host of the Remember Me podcast and community. Maria has always had a love of radio and editing, receiving a TV production degree from Boston University, where she was a host of BU in the Morning radio show. She also spent time at MTV Radio as an intern in New York City before falling into the world of fashion merchandising for seven years. Maria has served as a guest speaker at Alzheimer's and caregiving conferences around the world and continues to be a resource for others on their FTD journey. Maria, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes. So, so we've yeah, we've chatted a little bit on social and I'm really just excited to kind of see you and, and get to chat tonight. Awesome. Can't wait. It's interesting being a guest, so... It's new for I'm me. Sure. <laughs> yeah, flipping the script on you. <laughs> yes. So I just wanted you to maybe start out and tell us a little bit about your mom and the journey that led you to the Remember Me podcast. Sure. So in 2016, um, my mom was diagnosed with frontotemporal degeneration, which what is what the heck is that? Nobody knows what that is, right? Um otherwise known as FTD for short. And uh, she also got the dual diagnosis um, of ALS. And the way that my mom got diagnosed was we were just noticing changes in her behavior mm-hmm. and her language. She was 52 years old at the time, mom of four. And her youngest, um, my younger sister, who's 10 years younger than me, was finally going off to college and her years of you know, being a stay-at-home mom for 30 years was, you know, coming to an end. And um, we just thought, I don't know, maybe she's having mm-hmm. a hard time with that. Um, we just couldn't explain, like, why she was acting differently, talking a little differently. And then once she started to just lose her words, like, literally, she could not come up with words. She said that a lot or she said, yeah, a lot. We were like, something's not right. So um, 
we ended up getting her diagnosed pretty quickly, which is not typical for this disease. And um, for years, I just was so isolated as we're trying to figure out what this meant um, and, you know, what this meant for our family, what this meant for my mom. How are we going to care for her? Can she drive anymore? Can she do anything on her own anymore? And it was such a whirlwind for those first like few years. Um, my husband and I were living in the North End at the time, and we decided to move back in with my parents um, who were mm -hmm. in Bedford at the time and just see if we can help take care of my mom. I knew about the ALS piece because we're in Boston, right? We know about mm -hmm. Pete Frady's and the Ice Bucket Challenge. And so I knew when she had received the dual diagnosis, um, I knew what ALS meant and I knew ALS meant she didn't have a lot of time. Um, so we moved in and we started caring for her. And then um, in 2018, I had my first child, Liam, named after her because she was oh, fondly called that. Leah. Yeah. Uh, so we named him Liam. And um, I was actually caregiving for her in her home, bringing home a baby, first time mom, don't have my mom really at that point my mom couldn't even speak. She couldn't really care for herself um, independently. And so fast forward a few years and I was just so sick of being isolated on this journey. I had been through a lot as a first time mom, navigating that alone while dealing with my mom and the pandemic happens. And I'm like, I'm going to work on a project. <laughs> I want to figure out how to tell people like what I've been going through and see if they can understand like what this is all about. And the hardest part of this disease is that um, your loved one changes so much. Like they, they change uh, in many cases, like their personality, like the essence of who they are just like is taken away from them. And I didn't know how to articulate that to people. And so the premise, the idea for the podcast was let's tell people about FTD and then let's tell people about who my mom was before mm -hmm. FTD because that was taken. I decided to post on Instagram um, that I wanted to do this project. Um, and I didn't really say too much. I just said, I want to tell stories of FTD and want to know if anybody who's following me is interested there at that time there was a very small community on instagram that was talking about ftd so like a bunch of us they're really like young moms caring for parents that all had kind of found each other mm. through like hashtags um and there was one girl who i was following who i hadn't really spoken to before i had seen her post about her dad but you know it's just like someone you, follow online that maybe you feel like you kind of know but don't um and she was the first person to respond and she was like i want to do this it sounds great like i really want to talk about my dad and we hopped on zoom and like literally the rest is history like she is my best friend she's like my sister now um we just like took the idea and ran with it I said, do you want to actually be my co-host? I know this sounds insane, but she lives in L.A. She's two little boys, just like me. And I don't know, just the bond that you form with people that have an mm -hmm. experience like this. It's just unlike anything that mm -hmm. you can imagine. And so 
now we're three years in, over 100 episodes. We've traveled all over, including to France for a conference. Um, we have a huge community, and we're telling stories every day. We're interviewing experts in the field. We've participated in research, and it's just really wild. I know it sounds insane, but um, I just really feel like it was mm. fate. Um, and then I know I'm being so long-winded, but just to f- kind of put finish it up, um, by shortly after we started the podcast, we started in August of 2020, um, Rachel's dad passed away in November, and then my mom passed away in December. And it was crazy because... I just, I had like my person like to go through this with and our grief journeys were like, even in step, like our parents literally passed away one month apart, almost to the day. Um, and we just had each other through it and then we documented it through the podcast and it's just really wild when you think about it. It sounds kind of insane, but it's been magical and an amazing way to heal and channel something good into something that's been horrible for my family. Um, yeah. So I've been listening to your podcast and I kind of started at the end of the season you just finished where I listened to your story. Okay. Um, and then I've gone back to episode one and I think Rachel is the one that says, it's kind of like our love story, like how you guys met and have gone through <laughs> yes. this. And I just thought that was so cute. And and what a gift to mm. have each other in the unthinkable. Yeah. I strongly believe that right. stuff like that happens for a reason. Like there is no, there's no explanation to it other than that, that it had to happen. So um, I'm, I'm grateful for you to have that person to walk through that with your, you know, with, I want to talk a little bit about, sort of the weight of motherhood. It's reported that women make up 11 million of the unpaid caregivers and report extreme burnout. So as moms, we can sort of hypothesize what that is like because all moms carry this very heavy burden anyway. Then being the caregiver to a parent, if you are in this sandwich generation, has to be incredibly difficult. The three of us sitting on this call have had an experience that we can sort of understand that. Um, But I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit of background on how you and Rachel now are supporting this community of caregivers through Remember Me. Absolutely. I think the number one way we do that is just make them feel like they're not alone. Um, I think until you know, before we started our podcast, Mm -hmm. there was nothing, there was nothing, you know, there was informational sites where you can, you know, look up things about specific disease, but you really had to spend a lot of time searching, which who has time Mm -hmm. for that when they're caregiving. Um, But a lot of the feelings around like, especially, you know, talking about that sandwich caregiver feelings around like, losing your parent mm-hmm. while becoming a parent things like that are just like you're not going to find mm-hmm. that in a google search right so hearing us talk about our experiences interviewing people in our community who share their own experiences like i think just feeling like you're not alone like i think that is how people feel supported it's just knowing like this is 
awful and hard, but there's other people that are going through it. And the way that you feel is, is real and can be validated. And, you know, there's other people around that you can talk to because we can't, you know, right now there is no cure for FTD. Um, but we really feel like there's a cure for like the isolation that people feel. Um, and so, I mean, we also, we're definitely not your, there's pe- there's a space of people that are like giving you practical tips of like, you know, this is how you get your mm-hmm. mom to shower. This is how to get them to stop driving. Sure. We're more the sure. feelings people, <laughs> um, you know, we try and we interview experts and try and provide as much information as we can. But I think what people really need is like, I don't know, like they need a friend. They need like a listening ear. They need to like put in their AirPods, go for a walk and hear their quote unquote, mm-hmm. quote unquote friends, <laughs> Rachel and Maria saying like, this is hard, but like, this is where I found the light in this situation today. Or, you know, this is how my grief is feeling today and it might change tomorrow. And just like feeling less alone, I think is like the number one thing that we provide for our community. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I'm not gonna be able to say this sentence without crying. Um, You and I have connected because what you guys didn't know when you reached out to us to ask if you could be on the podcast is that in 2021, my mom was diagnosed with aphasia, which is also um, a form of dementia. And um, I can attest that I had no idea there was a community of people like me, Um, people who I feel like I'm too young to be dealing with this. I feel like I'm too young to have put my mom and assisted living. But listening to your podcast, it's been exactly that. It's been like, I, and it's funny, you said, you know, go on a walk and listen to your podcast. That's exactly what I've been doing. And, you know, I'm walking and I find myself like nodding my head up and down because I'm like, yes, that's exactly it. And I haven't heard anyone else even close to my age relate. Um, I feel like, you know, I'm relating to my aunt who's taking care of my 90-year-old grandmother, and I'm relating to my husband's aunt who's taking care of her 95-year-old dad. I've not been able to relate to anyone my age until you guys came into my world. So um, your work is very important, and I'm incredibly grateful. Um, And I wanted to share So just to kind of give an example of what we mean when we're talking about this sandwich generation, I actually had a perfect example this morning. So I was running very late for my kids' swim lessons, which is a whole other story. But it was just a chaotic morning being a mom to two kids and trying to get us somewhere in the rain and the traffic and all of it. So we get there. I'm flustered. I get the kids settled into their lesson. and. I literally had the thought like, oh, okay, I can take a minute. They're both in the pool. I'm here by myself. I can just breathe for a second and collect myself um, until their lesson is over. As soon as I think that, my phone rings. And it's not my mom's number, but it's a number from the town that her assisted living is located. So I answer it. And I should mention here, so my dad passed away. That's right. Um when I was 15 and my mom has 
no siblings. So it's just my brothers and I to take care of her. Um, I'm the oldest and we know that like a lot falls to the oldest um, usually. And the other complicated piece is that my mom is in Texas. So I'm very long distance from her, which is kind of its own challenge. Um, But I pick up my phone and I hear a lady that I don't recognize say, okay, here she is. And my mom gets on. So of course I'm like, are you okay? And she says, yeah. And I was like, where are you? And she can't answer me. Mm. And, you know, I'm like, are you in the hospital? And she says, I don't know. Um, and, you know, I was like, are you at home? And then I could tell if she's trying to like think or process too fast or she feels rushed, she gets incredibly flustered and she can't communicate anymore. And so that's exactly what happened. And I mean, I, I did that cause I was panicked. Um, but I said, okay, well, can you put the lady back on who I spoke to a minute ago? So she does. And the lady's like, oh, I'm in the room right next door to your mom. She just wanted to call and say hi. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Like put her back on. I just had no idea what was going on. Um, so we chat for a minute and then I text my brother and I'm like, I just had this weird thing. My mom, like mom called from her neighbor's room and he's like, oh yeah, she, called me to get your number like half an hour ago. But then instead of calling from her phone, she used her neighbor's phone, which is just kind of like what we're constantly dealing with right now. Like a lot of things that don't make sense to us. It's, you know, almost like we're detective, like mainly just trying to always make sure that everything's okay, but nothing was wrong. She just wanted to say hi. We chatted for a minute, but then I got off the phone and swim lessons were over and I'm back in mom mode. Um, And I feel like, that's what I experience a lot of the time. And it's not something that anyone necessarily knows. A lot of that is because I don't know how to talk about it. Um, But I think, you know, that's kind of what we're talking about when we say like sandwich generation, like Mm -hmm. literally in the middle of trying to raise our kids and care for our aging parents. Um, Obviously, you know, I feel like I'm grieving my mom before she's even gone. And I say all the time, I miss her. I know she's physically here, but I miss her. She's not the same. And she, we've, we've switched roles. She's not taking care of me. I'm taking care of her. And that's again, not something that I was prepared to do at, I guess this all started around 35 years old for me. So I want to ask you, how do we normalize and make room for our own grief when it feels like we're constantly tending to everyone else's needs instead of our own? It's so hard. That's like it. It's such a hard question. It's an important question. And I don't have a magic wand to be like, this is what you do, because especially as moms, you know, we put everybody ahead of ourselves. Right. So when I was like, in the depths of grief after my mom actually passed, which you hit the nail on the head, though, you you grieve them long before they pass. But when she passed, I had a two and a half year old Mm -hmm. and I had to be there for him every day. And all I wanted to do was truly lay in bed and cry for weeks. But like, I had to take care of my baby, you know? And so I think it's, it's really difficult, but I'm a huge proponent of therapy. 
So that's a place where I really take a lot of my grief. So maybe I'll have a week where we will say it's extra griefy. And, you know, I just spend my whole therapist call crying. And it's therapeutic for me. It's good. It feels good. I think it's just making sure you reserve some time. I don't know if you guys watched Succession, but there's a scene. Oh, I'm watching it right now. I'm on season two. Oh, okay. <laughs> there's a scene where, like, this woman literally, like, schedules a meeting on her calendar to, like, go cry in a conference yeah. room. <laughs> And I mean, you kind of have to do that. Like you have to, you have to find time just like everybody tells us, you know, self-care moms, you got to find that you time. You have to find the time because grief is not something that you can ignore because Mm. otherwise it's, if you just keep burying it down, it's going to come out and it might be harder too. If you're not just trying to take the time. You know what I'm saying? But it's hard. Well, and it won't yeah. necessarily come out in a way that you would recognize as grief. Mm-hmm. Like it could come out in all kinds of different behaviors. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And then you're like, oh, wait, that's grief. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like that you mentioned that because I think my therapist actually told me that there's no way out of grief except through it. Mm-hmm. And um, like... I think one of the things too is that can be helpful is to verbalize how you're feeling to whoever is around you. Like if you can recognize it. So that takes some, some work too to recognize how you're feeling, but like um, verbalizing it to your therapist and giving yourself the hour meeting to cry or just saying like, I am not in a good place today. I have a blanket. Mm -hmm. It's actually behind me. It's a little purple blanket that I call my grief blanket. Oh my God, I, I, liter- love that. I literally like sometimes, and that's kind of like a, ver- like not a verbal, a visual cue to my family where I'm like, I'm not in a great space. And so I need to be in my grief blanket, my cocoon. Um, also taught to me by my therapist. So I, we are all, all three of us here, high proponents of therapy, whether okay, you are good. walking through this now or in the future, get yourself help uh, before you need it if you can. Um, I, okay. Now it's my turn to cry. <laughs> <laughs> hugs hugs i'm sorry yeah. me and rachel like have this effect on people it just like happens everywhere we go hugs. um <laughs> ugh. sorry okay don't say sorry that's what i do no too. yeah i'm like sorry, i'm crying it's like i'm not yeah, I'm sorry I'm not my sorry. mom's gone you know i know yeah um so i lost my mom in 2020 oh. also in november oh of 2020 and I was not, you know, too young to lose my mom, just like all of us on this call are feeling. Um, and I was not prepared. And I had, I was, uh, sorry, that not that I was not prepared. It was not sudden. It was she was ill. Um, but I wasn't prepared of how I was going to mother through that. Like, not even a little bit. And uh, what you said earlier actually really struck me because you were saying that online there are like, there is information out there. But it's truly like facts. It's like this, do this, if this, do this, when this, um, nobody told me, or I couldn't find anything that was talking about the feelings of being a parent and having to walk through extreme grief too young and then translate that to your children. For me, my kids were elementary and 
uh, elementary down to toddler age. Um, and so I would love to hear your advice. I had my own experience and something that maybe someday I will talk about on Boston Moms, but um, your advice around communicating with your children about a grandparent's illness or about their passing. Mm-hmm. This is a great question. I actually called my pediatrician like a yeah. few nights after my mom passed because like she was my lifeline because I did not. I, yeah. it, it feels like these these questions we have, all we want to do is call our mom, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. she'll have the answer, right? Yeah. And you can't. And so I, I'm still learning how to do this, right? Sure. So, and there's no Rachel, perfect way. There's no perfect yeah. way. Rachel and I are very much on the same page about being very honest with our kids, mm-hmm. but as honest as you can be, uh, like to their level of comprehension, right? There's so many books. And let me tell you, I've literally probably bought all of them. And some of them are so abstract that it's very difficult. Like think of a red string and a balloon. And it's like, it's just not going to. And also everybody knows their kid, right? So some kids you need to give it to them straight. And some kids, you can be a little more flowery with things. We have always been honest with Liam. Again, he was two and a half when mm-hmm. she passed. Um, and I think, too, like, we talk about this a lot on the podcast. I think there's a fear sometimes of being um, really emotional in front of your kids. I think a lot of, you know, our parents' generation was kind of like, no, no, kids don't need to worry about adult problems, mm-hmm. which, of course, there's some truth to that. But then I think it causes more anxiety in kids when you when they know something's wrong and you don't address it. Right. Mm-hmm. So our philosophy has kind of been to just be really honest. Um, there's some really great like Sesame Street episodes and great books out there. And I think everybody's got to find what works for them, but it's hard and it, and it changes, you know, now he's five. So now we can talk about things in a different way. And Mm -hmm. one thing that I found really interesting is, um, so we've gotten to the point where he knows she was sick, Mm -hmm. but, but we as adults don't realize that for a child sick, there's varying levels of sick. Right. Mm. So for a while, if I had a cold, Liam was like, are you going to die? And so this is like such somebody needs to do a podcast specifically on this. And I will listen to 500 episodes about it because it's just it's ever changing how you talk to them about it, how comfortable you feel with how much information you share, seeing how they receive it. You know, it's there's no one size fits all. But again, it's like being able to talk to you guys and knowing that, like, you're also kind of like trying to figure it out makes me feel more empowered as a mom. Like, okay, like, it's not just me. Like, this is really hard. It's so hard. And they have so many questions. You know? Yeah. And they're all such different little people, too. Like, for, for me, I mean, I, Definitely don't think I've done it all right. And I've faked it till I, you know, I always say faking it till I make it like, you know, just doing our best. But the sick, when you said sick, that was like the first thing that I felt like I did wrong because my oldest son was 
he understood sick. And when my mom was hospitalized and we were like, no, it's a disease. It's different than sick. And so we had to talk through that. Whereas like my baby, who's now four, who never really got to know my mom, um, is just like straight up, like my grandma died. Like, it's just like, yes. just facts to her. Like there's just, cause she's never known anything different. So it's so interesting. And I do think that like, we're all just doing our best and you have to do what you think is best for your kid. And that's your best. Yeah. One thing that has really helped me is just talking about my mom a lot. Yeah. Cause like that helps me feel like Liam knows her. Yeah. And it's really incredible. Like, so he knew her for two and a half years. And in those two and a half years, she couldn't speak. Yeah. But they had, now I'm going to cry. <laughs> they had a connection that they didn't need words. Like mm-hmm. they, I'll share with you guys some pictures and we have it on our Instagram of like my mom with Liam at his first birthday and them just like locking eyes and he's trying to take off her glasses and she's giggling and he remembers how she made him feel sure. and he talks about her like he knows her like the mm-hmm. mom I knew. And so I think don't another tip I'd say is just like don't shy away from like talking about them what they liked. Mm-hmm. Like if we see sunflowers I'm like, "Hey, Mimi loves sunflowers." Mm-hmm. And then he'll be like, "Mimi loves sunflowers." Like, you know, <laughs> like he knew it, you know? So I think that is a really like positive thing too is find opportunities to like share things about your parent that has passed and share that with your kids so that Mm -hmm. they feel like they're gaining new memories of them you know what's interesting about that I feel like when you do that too that is something my mom and I had an interesting relationship I love her because she was my mother but we had it was tough the last couple of years but when I speak about her to my children I do I say things like grandma loves sunflowers, like grandma, you know, and I, I speak positively about her, but what has happened is over my grief journey, I, the sadness has been replaced with fondness. So it's kind of interesting and in being able to parent through that. I have, I, what in the beginning, those things I would remember would hurt me so deeply. Like if I thought about what she loved, I would be, it would wreck me now. And I've shared this with my dad, even it like lights this, like, it's almost like, I don't know, this is so silly, but like it would turn like my, you know, like I would imagine my, my chest being like red, it hurt me. And now when I think about it, my chest is green. Like, I think like that gives me comfort to think about it. So one of the things maybe, a, I don't know if I would say a positive, cause I can't, I don't think that's the appropriate term to use, but about being in this sandwich generation is that we still have some time to reparent ourselves and to also use the use how we want to communicate with our children to help impact our own grief journey in a positive way. Um, That has definitely happened three years later for me. I I feel like that's probably the reason that I'm in a more healed place is because I've had to parent my kids through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we think about too, like our parents' generation, like, I mean, I could speak for like my family and like our culture was like, don't talk about these things. Yep. (laughs) And so to be able to be like, no, it's okay to share that. Like, it's kind of a beautiful part of parenting to teach these little people to be like really open to their emotions. And Mm -hmm. like, I think that Liam has learned an incredible amount of empathy for people who are sick or 
you know, quote unquote different mm-hmm. by exposing him to so much of my mom's journey. Sure. So I'm in this grief space today where I can make it, you know, bright and shiny and sunny, but like tomorrow it could be different. You know, tomorrow you need a grief blanket. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I love the grief blanket. I'm sharing that with our <laughs> listeners like as soon as I get off this call. It's like my poncho. I love that. It's amazing. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit and give you a chance to talk about Alzheimer's and FTD because I know you guys are so knowledgeable and you're helping to educate a community. Um, I want to ask you what a common misconception you hear about Alzheimer's or FTD is. And I'm also going to share quickly the one that drives me the craziest recently with my mom's aphasia diagnosis. Please. I have, I've had so many people come up to me and say, well, she looks fine. Oh, 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 you know, uh, why are you making a big deal of this? Like, she looks fine. She seems fine. Like she's smiling. She seems happy. And I'm, I'm like, have you talked to her? Mm. Like, you think I'm making this up? Like, what is that even supposed to mean? So that's something that gets under my skin totally. But I wanted to ask you kind of like, Yes. For you, what is that misconception that you hear a lot? That one was a big one for me, too, because my mom was in her 50s, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my mom's like in her 60s. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest misconceptions about dementia in general is that Alzheimer's is the only form of dementia or mm. Alzheimer's and dementia are one in the same term. But dementia is an umbrella term and there's many different types of dementia and uh one of my pet peeves was sorry people i mean they didn't know any better but um (laughs) people would say does your mom remember you and i'd say it's not that kind of dementia Mm -hmm, her memory is not impacted her language is impacted her judgment is impacted but she knows also what a dark question yeah yeah, you know, like how heartbreaking, right? But it's not that it's it's not that. So, I mean, there's so many hurdles we need to overcome to educate people about FTD. Nobody knows what it is, but mm-hmm. we're trying to change that. Um, I think also people think, you know, Alzheimer's or dementia, they think they're quote unquote elderly. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. Um you know, people on our podcast, we've interviewed people diagnosed as young as 29. Oh, um, and and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, Shannon, just like they might not look sick or like they have anything going on. So that can be like, it can actually be like a really scary thing um, just because they can you know wandering is a big thing in Mm -hmm. dementia in all forms of dementia and so like one time my mom was wandering and she looks like a normal 50 year old person but then she can't like communicate where she was going and like Mm -hmm. it there's just so many complexities to dementia that people don't understand and i think they can be younger it can impact way more than just memory and memory can be unaffected and then also a unique part of FTD is that um, there's 
There's many statistics out there, but I've seen one that 30% of people with FTD also have ALS. So um, there is there is a component where there's a dual diagnosis. And so it can also affect your physical body and dementia at different stages can affect your swallowing, you know, your breathing. So it, I think sometimes people are just like, oh, well, they forget your name or something. You know, it's mm-hmm. just there's just so much more to know about dementia and it's so much more complex than people understand. And I try and tell people too, because, you know, people might quote unquote look fine, you know, be kind when you're out in the world. You don't know. You don't know what people are going through. Sometimes I see people and like, they might be acting a little different and I'm like, that person might have FTD, you know? Um, and so just like really treat people with kindness. You have no idea, you know, you really don't. And I feel like, I don't know if you've encountered this too, but now that like Bruce Willis initially had an aphasia diagnosis and then now his diagnosis is FTD. And that was a turning point. Like before that, when I would tell, you know, my friends like, oh, this is my mom's diagnosis. It's like, I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. Can you explain it? Which I never mind. Um, but then after that, it's like, oh, that's the Bruce Willis disease. Like, I've literally had that sentence come out of people's mouth. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Bruce was big for the community. It was, yeah. Definitely. Actually, we've had the opportunity to connect with his wife, who's, oh, oh. Oh. sorry. Um, We had the opportunity to connect with his wife because she said she had started listening to our podcast. Like That's wonderful. Just like, before they were public um and she wanted to like feel less alone you know mm-hmm. um but he he has definitely brought a lot of awareness and that ease of well have you heard what bruce willis has and then yeah. oh yeah so i mean it's terribly devastating for their family this is a terribly debilitating disease yeah. like so yeah it's interesting for sure can you talk a little bit, this is sort of along the same lines, but about recent developments and research around brain health, Alzheimer's and FTD? Absolutely. Okay, so brain health to start with, there is some incredible research that's coming out that there are ways to reduce your risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and some things we all know about, but you know, are, we don't all do. Um, but I'll include myself in that, you know, exercise, mm-hmm. Mediterranean and mind diets, um, even, you know, like sleep is a big, mm-hmm. it's a big thing. Um, there's a really great organization, um, actually founded by Seth Rogen and his wife, Lauren Rogan. Um, Lauren lost her mom to early onset Alzheimer's and their whole organization, it's called HFC is, um, kind of dedicated to educating uh, like younger people like us about brain health and Mm. about Alzheimer's. Um, So I encourage people like, you know, if you want to learn more about brain health, like they're kind of my go-to, they really break it down. Um, But when it comes to FTD, you know, there is a genetic component in some cases, not the majority of cases, but there is a genetic component and there's so many different statistics out there that I talked to some of the top docs and I'm like, which one is it? Like there's varying reports here, but you know, of course, if you have a genetic risk, 
um, you know, I, 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 sometimes it's hard when I see a lot of things being like, you can, you know, reduce your risk of dementia, but there's some people that like they're genetically, you know, have a genetic mutation. Um, so along those lines in the FTD world, there's actually a lot of really promising research right now. There's a phase three clinical trial for one of the genetic forms of the disease. Um, you know, I don't know how Rachel and I have now become buds with some of these top docs, <laughs> but they, they're the best. And especially, I, I think you must have listened, Shannon, because the latest episode the last episode of our season was Dr. Beauvais at the Mayo Clinic. And he always speaks of a lot of hope in research. Um, so fingers crossed. There is a new Alzheimer's drug that was approved this week. I, I'll i never claim to be an expert on all of that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a lot of hope. Um, there's a lot of hope, but there's still so much that needs to be done just in terms of educating people, uh, specifically on FTD, because... We can't get people into trials if people aren't getting diagnosed. And right. the road to diagnosis now, I mean, some people tell stories of it took them 10 years to get a diagnosis. They went to 14 different doctors, you know, so we have to educate people on the disease so then we can study and find a cure. Um, mm-hmm. But Rachel and I are in this fight, so we're going to keep Doing what we can, you know. And you have a lot of episodes around genetics. And I think you have one that I flagged. I know I want to listen to. And it's like, I don't remember the title, but do I want to know? Yes. Basically, Uh, like, do I have that gene and do I want to know that I have it? Um, So I don't tell me because I'm going to go. I won't tell you. But yes, (laughs) the whole last season of our podcast was all about genetics and research. Um, We had people asking us from the beginning of us starting the podcast, will you talk about genetics? And I am married to an attorney. And so I said, I don't think I want to talk about genetics. (laughs) I'm really, really nervous. I don't I don't want to get sued. Um, and so we finally found the right partners and established ourselves where we could do it right. And we always want to give people the most accurate information. Sure. It's like scary stuff. This is, it is very anxiety inducing. We do not want to send people into a panic, you know, and so we want to educate with the right information. And so, yeah, it was, I mean, we've never gotten better feedback than we did with this season. People really loved it. So um, yeah, definitely plug, plug, go check that out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and something else your podcast teaches listeners is to accept the good. And I know you're actually on social media doing an accept the good challenge this month, yes. um, which a ton of people are participating yes. in. And I love seeing kind of the stories every day, but tell us what does that mean? Accept the good and how do we do it? So this is something that Rachel's dad always used to tell her. So we try and weave Mm -hmm. our parents into like the fabric of this whole podcast. And Frank or Frankie, as I fondly call him, even though I never met him, but he is in my heart. um, Frankie always told Rachel to accept the good. And I think we kind of characterize that as like looking for the light, looking for, you know, it's so easy to so easy with this situation to be like this is terrible and to be in that darkness because it is so 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 hard it is so hard um but if you can look for the light Mm. it's gonna help you get through it and Mm -hmm. some days it's much harder to find than others 
But we had one listener tell us that um, after listening to our podcast and kind of adopting that motto, it like changed her whole mindset for the last months of her dad's disease. And she felt like she enjoyed her time with him more, Mm -hmm. which was like the biggest compliment we could have ever gotten from anyone for anything we've ever done is that we helped someone enjoy the last months of their dad's life. It's just... It's just about looking for the little moments, you know, and it it doesn't make everything better. But, um, you know, it's just there is light. There is beauty. Even as we're talking about, you know, the grief journeys with our kids, like there is beauty in that. And it's it's not a toxic positivity thing. I don't want people to think we're like toxic positivity people because we're not. We talk about (laughs) some dark stuff on our podcast. (laughs) But there's always light and beauty that you can find. Um, and so we like to encourage that. You have to have hope. Yes. Always. Yes. Listeners, we hope that this episode has been especially helpful to those of you who may find yourselves on this caregiver journey. Please share with a friend or a family member who may benefit from this conversation with Maria. And of course, we'll link to all of the Remember Me podcast contact information on bostonmoms.com. Maria, we want to ask you the same question that we, we ask all of our guests. What are you loving about raising a family in greater Boston? Okay, I thought about this one, guys. <laughs> I've got a good one. Ready for it? So I have two boys and I have a sports obsessed husband. Mm. And so one thing I love about living in this area is my boys have some good sports teams to root for. They really do. They are not going to be like me where they're crying that their team never made the playoffs. (laughs) They have lots of great sports to cheer on. And of course, I just love the area. I love that you could just drive to the ocean and you're Mm -hmm. there and like, you know, can be there quick. So I love Boston. I've stayed here ever since I went to college here. It's the best. (laughs) Maria, thank you so much for talking to us today and a very personal heartfelt thank you for just the work that you're doing. And I know I'm one of many who is comforted and encouraged and educated by the Remember Me podcast. So truly, we really appreciate the work that you and Rachel are doing. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Big hugs. hugs. (laughs) We need it. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Wicked Good Wellness. And remember, you are a Wicked Good Mom. Boston Moms is grateful to this season's Wicked Good Momcast sponsor, Boston Ballet School, a leading dance educator empowering students to develop artistically, forge lifelong friendships, and most importantly, have fun. Visit bostonballet.org backslash education to learn more about the range of classes offered in our Boston and Newton studios.